I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello there, and welcome to Untitled Film Podcast with Callum and Johnny. I'm Johnny. And I'm Callum. And uh, hello there. And thank goodness you got the title right. Well, you know. Was that like the first time out of six? Um, I would say it is... What episode are we on now? This is seven, I think. Really? Is it seven? Something like that. Almost almost ten. Yeah. Almost ten. (laughs) Two thirds of the way to ten. We got a whopping 23 followers on the old uh, Instagram. Wow. We have less followers in Instagram than we have listeners, so get on that Instagram. Yes, get on that. So that's Untitled Film Podcast, one word on Instagram and Facebook. And I think we've given uh, Twitter the old sack. Yeah, now Elon Musk's buying it. And it's full of boring people, monomaniacally shouting at each other, so who cares, frankly? Exactly. Uh, If we become big and famous, then maybe we'll have to go back to it, but yeah, fuck it. If someone can give back Untitled Film Pod as a name, that would be lovely. (laughs) Or if Twitter could let us have longer names that I make know, it make more sense. I know, 15 characters. 15. What, what's that about? What well, is that about? I know, it's uh, maddening. Who's? I'm just trying our levels here. One of us is was too loud and one was too quiet. I think it might be me. I, I had a little bit of crackle. Well, crackle, snap, crackle and pop. My ears. So that's something for Rob to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give him this timestamp. Cool. Okay. So, so speaking of the Twitterverse, what's been going on on our Twitterverse this week? On ours specifically? On ours specifically. Who cares about any other Twitterverse? Not the Twitterverse, (laughs) or Instagramverse, whateververse. Well, we have been asking, every week we ask a question. And this week I put out the question of who is either the worst actor or the worst performance that you've ever seen. And this was inspired by a YouTube show. I'm just going to put a little plug out for this YouTube channel called Red Eye Reviews. He does a series of videos about how terrible, and I mean terrible, Stephen Seagal is. 
And <laughs> it's an easy target. And lots of YouTubers have, have, have minds that uh, feel before, but it, it is always funny. And I've been binging his episodes, so thank you. If in the future you happen to be listening, Red Eye Reviews, I don't know your real name, um, thank you for those. They've provided a lot of merriment over the last few days. And um, two people have answered. Uh, the first is my friend, James Neve. Uh, he's a friend from work. Uh, she went to see Funny Pages with him not so long ago, and we reviewed that several episodes ago. So thanks, James. And he said, whoever played Ginny in the Harry Potter films, I think her only purpose was to make Daniel Radcliffe look like a moderately talented actor. That is shade on Daniel Radcliffe, especially now. Yeah, well, I, 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 although I would like to say, although Daniel Radcliffe is a perfectly serviceable actor these days, He's not exactly like Oscar-worthy thing. It's just he's a nice person, so yes, I want him to so, do well. So we want him to do well. But um, it is right that uh, I think her name is Bonnie Wright, who played, I had to look this up, who played Ginny Weasley. She is pretty dreadful. and it's Bonnie the, <laughs> uh, it, It's the problem of having to uh, um, cast children at the age of, what, nine or ten years old, you know, um, in the end, you know, it, it's it's a tricky thing because you have to try and navigate. These are child actors. We have to contract them for what was it, eight films in the end because they were yeah. trying to stick to a continuity and to uh, cast someone else three films down the line when suddenly Ginny becomes an important character. And that's another problem with the Harry Potter films is it's uh, a, one of the kid uh, characters will be in nothing for like four films. They'll have one line and then suddenly they'll have a major subplot in the fifth film or the sixth film. And that was certainly the case with Bonnie Wright when they decided to make her um, Daniel Radcliffe's love interest after doing nothing for four films. She has one line like, oh, hi, Harry, how are you doing? And then suddenly it's like, right, you're going to be um, the love interest. I'm going to be what? So I do pity her a little bit. And, you know, they were offering them millions of dollars by that point. You wouldn't say no. I wonder, so... For those listeners out there that don't know, they tried to replace them halfway through. Or they talked about replacing the kids halfway through with different. I think kids. it was around film three or four. Yeah. They, it was contract negotiations and, and machinations going on in the background. And I wonder if they ever wished that they got some better actors in at that point. Because you know, by the time people kids are like sixteen or whatever, they probably were at that point. You can tell if someone is a reasonable actor or not. Yes. Which 11, 12-year-olds are quite hard to tell if they're going to be good or not. Yes. Well, I think by that point, the central three, they're not Shakespeare, they're not Oscar winners, but they're more than serviceable. So, wow. Well, Ron was was good. Yes. Uh, and I'm not the biggest fan of, um, uh, of Hermione. Oh, um, Emma Watson. Emma Watson, I think she is. And uh, Daniel Radcliffe. Too much teeth. To be fair, Daniel Radcliffe was given some pretty poor material because Harry is all yeah. staring off into the middle distance and being a bit moody. And no one knew that he'd become uh, like a pretty good comedian. Mm -hmm. And, you know, both him now, you know, both Daniel Radcliffe and Rupert Grint are both now doing some pretty interesting things. Again, they're still not Shakespeare and they're still not no. Oscar winners, but they're pretty interesting emerging character actors, I, mean, I feel. To be fair, if I had to say... Um, J.K. Rowling's dialogue, I probably couldn't do a very good job of it either because it's shit. <laughs> it's that line uh, um, Harrison Ford said to George Lucas, you can write this stuff, George, but you can't read it. <laughs> uh, we have a second response uh, this is from our friend Andra. Hello, Andra. Thank you for giving a response. 
Kirsten Stewart, or is it Kristen Stewart? But she's put Kirsten, I forget. I think it's Christian. I think but... it is Kristen in Twilight. And again, it's a similar, it's a similar sort of a tightrope walk. You can't read Stephanie Meyer's dialogue. Um, and again, in the future, Kristen Stewart has gone on to do some fairly interesting things. So I do still think that she's quite awkward. She's she, trying, though. She is yeah. trying, but it's a case of um, between trying and succeeding. She's certainly trying, but unlike Robert Pattinson, to whom it comes naturally, with Kristen Stewart, it's more individual performances. I did think she was good as Princess Diana, and I, I thought, okay, that's a fairly yeah, deserving Oscar nomination. Um, but she, she is still quite staccato and delivers dialogue. But I what, what I would say is, as well... Diana was a bit teeth and a bit kind of yes. like that anyway. So she was kind of playing to type a little bit. She is. She she has the same issue that I have with Kira Knightley and Emma Watson, funnily enough, which is just teeth, acting to and teeth. teeth da- Daisy teeth, Ridley teeth, in teeth. Star Wars. Yeah, well. Daisy Ridley does that. Lots of talking through teeth. Yeah, I just don't like it. I just find it, it's a really... <laughs> people in real life don't do that. No, it's, that, it's a, certainly an acting thing. Yeah. Because it looks good in, in the still image, the kind of crying shouting through teeth it has a, a good look to it, it it's like that taking glasses off thing that people do in movies especially in anime well no i was gonna say like um uh i can't remember names today <laughs> what's her name we're um, a film podcast uh, yeah um uh, uh, uh american I, actress massive actress Seven West prada oh um anne hathaway no old oh meryl streep yes meryl streep uh, yes, Meryl Streep. That she's basically built a career on taking her glasses off and slowly closing them, and then leaning <laughs> back, holding them. She's like every movie she does that in, and then sighing and holding the bridge of her nose. Yeah, exactly. Quite like, a pensive look. You can't see me doing it on the radio, but I'm on the on yeah. The he, he's pinching yeah. his nose and and sighing and looking off, which is what I always do when I've just got to speak to Callum. So that's just puff. It's pretty fair. I am quite exhausting. Yeah, you are. Anyway. Uh, that is our social media plug this week. So please get onto our social medias and there'll be more exciting, fun questions like this. And that's Untitled Film Podcast, one word. On Instagram and Facebook. Old Facky Book. Possibly Twitter, but don't bother. Yeah, don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So that is that. Is it time for the news? Well, some people would say Yes. And the first piece of news I have this week is about this podcast. <gasps> Gasp. And it's not that we're the 40th most popular visual arts podcast in Canada, although we are. We're basically more popular than Ryan Reynolds at this point. Particularly in Canada, yeah. Um, it's not that. It's that, because of our new heights of fame, we have onboarded, as they like to say in business. Do they? A producer, yeah. That's an ugly Go, word. Onboard them. I it's, hate a like, it's like hate business terms yeah. like that. By close of play. <laughs> yeah. Creepy. By, by close of play, we'll have onboarded a brand new human into our podcast. Uh, except you won't hear him, not for the moment anyway. He will be in the background making us sound good. And uh, for those listeners of last week's podcast, it was his first one and it sounded much better. It did. It sounded really beefy and really strong. So thank you. Thank you very much. And his name... Is Rob Hardstone. Whee! Thank you, Rob Hardstone. Whee! Uh, yeah. So. That's just one thing he has to edit now. The sound of clapping, probably clipping the... <laughs> There's quite a lot of things he has to, has to edit, probably, but there we go. 
Good luck to you, Rob. Good luck. Uh, thank, we will thank try you for coming and on make your job as easy as possible, but we it's promise not likely. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Piece of news number two. What is your first piece of news? Well, the first piece of news, it's actually quite a sad one, is that uh, the film char- charity Centre for the Moving Image, which is based in Scotland, is has been put into administration. They run several film uh, chain chain uh, cinemas in Scotland, especially Edinburgh and Glasgow, but they're also responsible for the Edinburgh International Film Festival. Oh, wow. So this is putting the Edinburgh Film Festival into, or at least the film uh, part of it, uh, I, I did say that Edinburgh Film Festival, not festival, sorry. Um, it has put that part of it into question. Now they're trying to find some backers. They're trying to find people that if it does close down for good, that might uh, host it in their place. But it does put the future of the festival and the cinema chains into into jeopardy. Uh, it's a very sad news. And it's to do with uh, a whole storm of things. COVID, people are still quite wary about coming back to these cinemas um, cost of living is going up, so you know people aren't spending as much on luxuries like the cinema, and uh, uh, cost of everything is is really tricky at the moment. It's really quite nasty. I have an idea. What's that? I think this podcast should start a campaign to get you and McGregor to be the face of it and help save it. Yes, as he is Scottish and he must be the biggest. Let's Scottish not just export. stop there. there. There's a bunch of not quite as big as Ewan, but uh, you know Gerard Butler. There's there's a few people who whose faces probably help a bit. There's a bunch of Scots in in uh, Hollywood. I reckon they'd all be willing to help. Yeah. So get onto our Instagram and Twitter and tweet these people. Any Robert Carlyle. Yes, any He's, Scottish actor, not even actor, director, writer, or, or even just people who are interested, who are famous as singer-songwriters, maybe. All the members of Trainspotting. Yeah, they're all famous. Well, except for um, Sick Boy, who's the who's English. Well, Johnny Lee Miller. He, he still might want to get involved if it was filmed in Scotland. No, he can't. He's not Scottish. Um, maybe maybe <laughs> Danny Boyle. Yes, again. Irving Welsh. Yes. He's Scottish. Is that who's he? I think so. Yes, he is. Yes, but Danny Ball isn't. I know Danny Ball isn't. But... <laughs> anyway, yeah. Yeah, sad, sad bit of news. news. Yeah. Sad news. Moving on to another sad piece of news. Avatar 4 has already gone into production. Really? Yeah. Uh, so I saw today they announced Avatar 4 has gone into production. Um, one would wonder if this is off the back of the pretty good box office results of them re-releasing the original Avatar. How weird. In 3D. In 3D. What is this? 2008. So for those that don't know, I think it's the end of this year, the new Avatar 2 is coming out. I believe so, yes. I believe this, it's a Christmas This was a release. weird thing that happened last time with Avatar. Obviously, when it was a new thing coming out and went on to be the biggest film of all time, no one seemed to know about it four months before it came out, which doesn't normally happen with that kind of thing. People, people know Harry Potter's coming out. People know Avengers is coming out. People know you know, the new Top Guns coming out or the new Mission Impossible or whatever. But people didn't really know about it. And then all of a sudden it was like the biggest thing in the world overnight. It was a really weird, like, phenomenon. And I don't quite understand how or why that happened. This keeps happening with James Cameron too. Um, so uh, Terminator 2 was a sequel to an indie sort of scrappy movie and then suddenly became huge, massive, gigantic. Uh, it happened with Titanic suddenly became the biggest film. And, you know, after an op- uh, unimpressive or kind of mediocre, at least, opening weekend, again, became the biggest thing since sliced bread. He keeps on pulling the rabbit out of the hat. 
Yeah. How does he keep doing it? I know. And and something like anyone you speak to who's no obviously at the time everyone was like, Oh my god, Avatar, it's the greatest thing ever. Blue people, CGI, amazing. And then people kind of watched it for a second time at home, not in the cinema, and then were like, Oh, it's really long and it's really generic and okay, blue people, but yeah. And you know, it kind of lost that vavavoom it had in the cinema. But something tells me this is still going to make like 80 billion, bajillion, squillion pounds and be the, so. one of the biggest films ever. And I don't know how, frankly. We just don't bet against James and Cameron. I think that's the rule. I mean, let's be honest, we'll probably end up seeing it. Oh, yeah. If not for this podcast. <gasps> Maybe we could do it that and Pocahontas. Oh, that's a good one. Ideas here first, guys. You you heard it first Listeners, right now. Tell us if that's a good idea or, or a a bad idea. So that is my sad piece of news. And do you have a second uplifting piece of news to end? We started on a high, two sad bits of news, and then... I wouldn't say this is necessarily a high, but it's not bad mm. either. It's that uh, Glass Onion, a, night out, uh, a Knives Out mystery, is going to hit theatres at Thanksgiving about a month before its release on Netflix and all the big cinema chains. And this is unprecedented because Netflix releases can get one chain, maybe the other for a week this has all the biggies but there is a big caveat to that it's only going to be released in 600 theaters and it's only going to be released for i believe a week so as big as it sounds in the headline it's not actually that big it's sort of more of a headline less of a story but this is in the united states of america's how what's going to happen in the u of k unfortunately the uh, deadline article that i read it says that uh, there's still um, some questions over what's going to happen over the rest of the world. <laughs> Not good enough, Callum. <laughs> pelted a bit of paper at me. Find out the answers. I can only tell you what Deadline says. Well, you need to get some better sources. I'm not a journalist. Uh, what is this podcast, if not journalism? <laughs> the highest level. Are, are we calling I expect this a Pulitzer Prize and a Nobel Peace Prize for this really podcast. Are we really calling this journalism? Yeah. This scrappy... Okay. If, if the Daily Mail could be journalism... Well, that's certainly true. This is far far more highbrow than the Daily Mail. Yeah, that's certainly And true. factual. <laughs> that, again, is certainly true. <laughs> At least so, we source our bits of news. Exactly. Deadline Hollywood. Cool. Right, that is the news. And now we go into the not news, the movies. First movie. And... For those that don't remember, what we do every week is we review Dos Movos, Uno Movie. I'm just bouncing my languages here. Uh, the first movie is a brand spanking, or in the case of last week, one year old thing. <laughs> last week was a TV show, this week is a movie. Um, this is a brand new movie that only came out this week on Netflix. And it is Blonde. Which is the new... Movie about Marilyn Monroe. Directed by Andrew Dominic. And uh, the theme of this episode is going to be biopics. And the second movie, the older movie that we're pairing it with, is from 1994. And it is... Ed Wood. Directed by Tim Burton. Exactly. About the Starring famous... John A. Depp. John A. Depp. Uh, about the infamously bad filmmaker. Often called the worst filmmaker ever, though he really isn't. No. That title goes to Uvi Boyle. Absolutely. But yeah, so I, as every each week, we each will give a synopsis of one of the movies, and I am going to do the synopsis for Blonde. Take it. Mamela Moreau, 
she was born onto this earth to a mother, but with nought father. And the mother was abusive, drunk, resented her, horrible, mean, cut to like 15 years later. She's trying to make it in the... In, she's, she's got a famous photographic modelling career. And she's trying to make it in the movie biz. So she goes and does salacious things and becomes the world's biggest actress. Woo! But is it woo? Let's find out. That is my synopsis. That's very well summed up. And um, what did you think about Blonde? Fucking hated it. I also fucking hated it. <laughs> it was so unpleasant. Yeah, it was not what I expected. It was... Um, let's just... Let's, before we go into what we really hated about it, let's just go from a technical point of view, what's wrong with it. It's really fucking long, for a start. Almost three hours. Like yeah. two hours and 47 minutes. It doesn't really tell much history. It doesn't really, it it kind of bounces around in so many ways. Like it bounces around visually. It bounces around, like sometimes it's black and white, sometimes it's colour. And you, you think, oh, is this to try and denote a mood or something? And not really, it doesn't really work. Um, it is based on a book that is very much the essence shall we say of uh, of <laughs> Marilyn Monroe's life but with very little actual truth or fact in it um and that comes across in the movie and there's some pretty glaring things which I think we'll talk about later um the, some of the performances are okay I would give it that much I'd agree with that I think uh, Anna Diarmas does her best although her it's very surface but uh, is that her fault and her Cuban accent, she can't get rid of it. She doesn't sound American. She sounds very Cuban. But I've got to the point now where it doesn't really bother me if an accent's bad, no. so long as it's not distractingly bad, like As Keanu long Reeves. as someone gets the vibe of exactly. the, the person, the essence, which I think she kind of did at times, but I think the script let it down a little bit. And Andrew Dominic, I think, lets her down <laughs> considerably. Um, and I agree with a lot of what you said. The technicals are very they bounce back between being excellent some of the cinematography is absolutely gorgeous yeah sometimes it's not um and sometimes they rely on these whoa look at me editing tricks like yeah. kaleidoscopic sort of things um wooziness and yeah so before getting into some of the kind of what we both i think really hated about it there is like you said the, some of the performances are fairly good we mentioned anna dms some of the technicals are very good but the problem, I think, stems from the book is trying to tell a larger truth about rape culture in Hollywood. But the problem is, is when you use a real person as your avatar and force them into these scenarios that we're not 100% certain exactly how much abuse, although we do know that she did face abuse in Hollywood, some of the scenarios have been made up to sell a larger point. The problem is when you use someone like Marilyn Monroe, to tell your larger truth, is it does feel very tabloid. It feels like you're dragging her through the muck for no reason. It felt very voyeuristic. Because when I was watching it, I was like, this is so voyeuristic. voyeuristic. It, doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's telling a cautionary tale or a story about you know, these things in Hollywood and using her as, like you say, an avatar or a vector to do it. 
it feels like they've got a really famous, good-looking actress to have horrible things done to her. And in, in a really, like a classy movie, something like that would happen and the camera would pan to the side and then you'd cut and then you'd know what happened. You, you'd know. This felt like a fucking Michael Bay movie. It was like the cameras were like right disgusting. On her. Yeah. Always a close up on her face. Um, I, unfortunately, we can't spoil this one, but there is a moment later on in the film which has been much discussed. So you can probably suss out which bit we're talking about. The f- camera is right on her face, it fills the frame. And you just find yourself thinking, why? What are you getting out of this? What, what, what are you telling us other than feeling as if you want the audience to, you want to jam the audience's face into it and say, look at it, look at it. And what good does that do? And what good does it do the victims that face this kind of thing? And I also would say um, it's kind of unfair to some of the other people that were were pulled into it almost to try and make these points. Um, one of... I'm, this this is a line where do you um where do you draw what is spoiling something and something's not but i'm going to say that most people probably have an inkling that something happened between jfk and marilyn monroe yes given the song that uh, happy birthday mr president exactly so i don't think it's spoiling too much to say that he's in the movie and well frankly um the movie is not What's the word I'm looking for? Is does something that is unverifiable and un like there's there's no evidence. It's certainly a assassination. Said, yeah, uh, and also a horrendous metaphor the way it's all done as well. But that's another story. Um, for something that clearly doesn't seem true. And right, okay, I'm uh, I understand that the whole thing is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for her being seen as a piece of meat. It's a metaphor for the. The film industry, like, you know, how badly they treated women then and still treat women, um, you know, and how the kind of casting couch culture and all that kind of stuff. And I understand these metaphors, but they smack you around the face like a sledgehammer. They don't really work. Like you say, it doesn't work that they're using a, a real person exactly. when in these very untrue scenarios. And it's done in a way that's, very, as like we said before, voyeuristic and pre- and pretentious. Frankly, and I just don't think it's it works. very proud of its of its woozy editing. It's very proud of its cinematography. It's very proud of scenes where it scans a crowd of paparazzi and they've used CGI to expand their mouths as they're shouting Marilyn, Marilyn, to make them seem like beasts. And oh yeah, I hated that. The, the, and those it looks moments, like it looked like a TikTok filter. It really does, and. If they wanted to tell a story that was metaphorical, they could have fictionalised the whole thing. They've already gone to the point of fictionalising most of it. Why not make a character who is uh, Marilyn-esque? Why use... (laughs) Recording there for our Instagram. See this exclusive behind-the-scene content, guys. Yes, that, that was uh, fairly jarring. Oh, <laughs> where, where was that, my point? Oh, yes, uh, I was saying that um, if they wanted to tell a story that was a metaphor, they may as well have fictionalised the whole thing, find, uh, made a character who was Marilyn-esque and similar to Marilyn, even had some of the beats of her story, and then just you know make up a whole new story. That way you can't be accused of dragging this poor woman who had her whole life being dragged through the mud. I think another point that we both uh, agree on is that it doesn't show how smart 
Marilyn was. Uh, she had her moments, she had her tantrums, but she was also a very savvy film uh, yeah. in the film industry, very smart actress, very good singer, very talented. I so that was one of the things that really annoyed me actually. Um, one of the criticisms, one of the things that the film kind of tries to depict as well is that the person Marilyn played was these dumb blondes in these movies, which is very much not her. And it was something that annoyed her her whole career that she got put in these positions. And then it pretty much skirted over the fact that she set up her own production company to start making stuff that was a bit more highbrow and didn't make her just this blonde beauty. Yes, it was kind of touched on in tiny little bits, but it really kind of... Uh, yeah, it, it kind of undermined that whole kind of strength in her, that th- that that part of her. There was a couple of little moments where it showed it, like her saying, "I'm not doing that film." Um, if she, if you know Jane Fonda, or if it wasn't Jane Fonda. No, was no, it, Jane Fonda would have been much later. But in they the they 70s. did they did learn. No, well, no, Jane Fonda and her did um, go to acting classes together. But that's another story. Yes. Um, but no, they. Uh, it was Joan, Joan Crawford mm-hmm. um, was getting paid a hundred thousand dollars for one of the movies they were in, and she was getting paid her five hundred dollar a week rate. And I'm not doing that. You can they can pay me more my bloody money, kind of thing. And, and fair enough, they they showed us a couple of little bits, but it didn't. She didn't come across. She came across as just depressed and sad. She didn't come across as smart, and she didn't come across as a well rounded character and person, which. Clearly she was, as all humans are. Um, and it, yeah, it just really... It certainly didn't, didn't work. <laughs> try to make her look like a talented person because whenever you see the recreations of the film scenes, it's always the famous ones, like the, the uh, wind going up the skirt or some of the songs, um, um, Diamonds are a girl's best friend, gentlemen prefer blondes. But a lot of her filmography, she was really, really good and there are, again, there are moments of that. You see her auditioning for things and you can see she's really putting her heart into it. Mm. But when when the they recreate the film scenes, it's almost kind of disproving the point it's trying to make by going, Fwoar, look at her up there. Look at that meat up there. Fwoar. It's like, well, you're undermining your own point, Andrew. If Michael Bay had made this film, I wouldn't have been surprised. Yeah. I think that's a really good way of, of looking at it. They picked someone to do the actory bits. They've got a sensationalist script that misses the mark, and it's over-directed. Oh yeah. Um, and if that, if yeah, if you wanted my my three-word review, that's more than three words, but my one sentence review, <laughs> that would be it. Over-directed, a script that's sensationalist but over the mark, and a couple of good actors to do the actory bits, and that is the movie. And unfortunately, a good movie it doth not make. And I'm very disappointed in Andrew Dominic because he went, he made Assassination of Jesse James. He, his debut was Chopper. He, he even made Killing Them Softly, which is scrappy but fun. And they're all really good movies. And then you make this. And what's wrong with you? I know. I, 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 part of me sees where he was going for and just really missed it. And I, we don't normally talk about the wider world of the podcast outside of the podcast but um actually when you look at other reviews and you look at, i was like oh, am i just wrong am i just out of touch no this is, seems to be what the majority of people think people are, people are quite angry about this movie very angry about both this movie. Were. yeah <laughs> I, saw it. I had to keep pausing it in order to get through it yeah uh it yeah it just doesn't didn't work on many any level for me which is really sad i uh, it's going to bring us very nicely on to our, our second movie in a minute. But when I saw the trailer for it, I thought, oh, this is going to be a bit like Edward. Slightly troubled, smart person in a well-scripted movie with a bit of behind-the-scenes of making movies and a bit of life. And that's kind of what I thought it would be. And it was like 
90% of someone who was really depressed in slow motion and then 2% of making movies and 8% of other stuff. Absolutely. It's a no from both of us. It is indeed. And that leads us quite, I guess, quite neatly. Yeah? Quite, quite a succinct review, really, yeah. because we both were like, we hate it. Yeah. <laughs> Hated it quite a lot. Yes. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yes. But it does lead us quite neatly onto our second film, as uh, Johnny said, that, that there are comparisons to be made between the two people. And the second film is Ed Wood, the 1990, 1994 film from Tim Burton, starring Johnny Depp, about the worst filmmaker ever. Uh, Edward D. Woods Jr. is a young man. He's struggling in Hollywood. He's trying to get plays and films off the ground. but No one will give him a job. Uh, he's doing odd jobs around Hollywood. Stop hitting the microphone. Um, <laughs> he's doing odd jobs around Hollywood. Nothing is going off the ground. And one day he happens upon the famous or once famous horror actor, Bella Lugosi. And Bella is, he's at the end of his career. He's in his twilight years. He hasn't released a movie in years. He has a lot of addiction issues. And the two become good friends. And through a little bit of, charm and a little bit of uh, convincing these low-rent B-movie studios to let him direct a movie called uh, I Changed My Sex, a very sensationalist movie. Um, he manages to to uh, get a film off the ground, but Ed has a secret. He is a cross-dresser, and that's going to interrupt the lives of his girlfriend, his friends, of Bella, and the whole movie-making industry that he's trying to get into. And so, Johnny, what did you uh, think about Ed Wood? Well, I, like you, have probably seen this film like five times. You probably might have seen it more than that. And I've always loved it. It really holds a nice place in my heart. It's kind of what I want from a... um, a biopic, I suppose, Mm -hmm. of of a film director. It treads a line... Because let's be honest, the, the films weren't good, good... Uh, his films, Edward's films, are terrible. Yeah, yeah, it has to be said. Yeah, they aren't good films, but it and and some of the stuff going on around it was quite funny. But he also was scrappy. He was a bit of an underdog. He had a good spirit about him, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think the film did a really good job of treading a line where it's not disrespectful to him. It shows his good qualities, but also kind of gets the humor in it right. Um, and yeah, you know, it's, it's quite uplifting. It's quite good fun. 
it's incredibly well acted by every single person in the cast. Oh, absolutely. And, and also, when you see the scene-by-scene scene recreations and things like that, which I was watching on YouTube after I re-watched it, they're amazing. And it, it, as well as being a drama, it makes it gives me five belly laughs in it, so it passes the Mark Commode five laugh test. Yeah, what more do you want what from more a can movie? You say? And uh, <laughs> to add to that, I think there's a lot of comparisons between Ed Wood and the films of Frank Capra. Uh, when Tim Burton got the script, he said, well, it has to be filmed in black and white. And loads of studios turned him down. Or they said, well, we'll make it, but we'll make it for this budget. Eventually, he came to the adult arm of Disney, which I think is called, or at the time, is called Vista. Uh, Buena Vista or Touchstone Pictures. And um, they gave him the budget. And it's very similar to Frank Capra in that it has this unwavering optimism about it. So Ed is this character. He he's this, has a sort of uh, G-golly, G-willikers sort of uh, mood about him where he's like, yes, we can get this film made with Bela Lugosi. He's quite clearly, uh, I've always thought that he's been quite clearly modelled around um, the parts played by uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart. Uh, has that similar kind of sense of, wow, gee, gosh, you know, look at this. And his interactions with Bela Lugosi, played by Martin Landau, who had to learn how to speak with a Hungarian accent. And also won an Oscar. And won an Oscar, yes. Uh, The film won two Oscars for both uh, Martin Landau and for Best Makeup. Um, uh, Their interactions are are really lovely. Uh, Tim Burton apparently based those on his relationship with Vincent Price, who he worked with before he was a big name. He made several short films with uh, Vincent Price, and there's an incredible sweetness to the film. The cinematography is lovely. Um, and there is something to be said that part of my kind of uh, comfort food movies are scrappy films about people trying to make it in Hollywood. I just like the juxtaposition between the sheen of Hollywood, the um, nice cars, nice buildings, and this kind of scrappy crossdresser trying to make his B-movies that nobody wanted to see. And there is an incredible charm in that juxtaposition that I think um, is quite a... When you get that balance right, it's a real big hit. You know, it really hits right on the mark. Yeah, absolutely. It is, I would still say to this day, Tim Burton's best movie. I'd agree with that. I think it's the best acted. It's understated, which Tim Burton is not always. (laughs) Let's be honest. Very true. That is very true. (laughs) Um, Beautifully shot. It's possibly one of Johnny Depp's best roles as well. Although he's not the best thing in it, in my opinion. There was a run of Johnny Depp films in the early to late 90s where he was just firing on all cylinders. And it's part of that run of films. Yeah, it's definitely in that that section. Um, Bill Murray, hilarious. He's very funny. Very very small, but smallish role, but Mm -hmm. really funny. Um, yeah, there's just a lot to and love. Even though a lot of the supporting cast, like uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, is very funny. Yeah. Um, With the immortal line, do, do I, I really, really have, have the face of a horse? horse? <laughs> <laughs> we do, you don't want us to answer that, Sarah. <laughs> and then there are several small roles by actors who I'm kind of, I can't say that I'm that familiar with. They cast a wrestler because one of uh, the troupe. So Edward had this troupe of actors and behind the scene uh, behind uh, behind the scene uh, crew that he always used and he hires this wrestler to play this big brute in one of his movies it's like Pride a frankenstein yes but yeah and he's a swedish wrestler and who better to play a wrestler than a wrestler and he was apparently a, a fairly big name in the early to mid 90s he was a wrestler i believe for 
WCW, I think that's what it was called. It wasn't WWF because that was the big one. It was there was another wrestling studio around the same time. I think he was. You're asking the wrong person. Yes. Maybe one of our listeners. Maybe Joe Hunt. Can you uh, send us a message and say he probably don't know that to be honest with you. It's more. It's not if it's not UFC. But <laughs> someone who knows, t- tweet us. Twitter, but, Twitter at not tweet. One of the others, Instagrammers. Yes, Instagram. Well, one of the ones we'll actually look at. <laughs> if you if you tell us on Twitter, we're never going to read it. No, absolutely. Uh, but everyone in that supporting cast really hits the mark. They really know how to make the film, and they all follow that similar sort of Jimmy. It's very much like a Frank Capra movie where you have characters who like there's a bartender in a Frank Capra movie who has an accent like this. See, and this has equally as broad sort of performances where people go. Ah, gee, we we gotta make a movie at midnight. Wow, what's going on? I, I again haven't had any sleep. I gotta steal a prop. You know, has very broad uh, performances that uh, it hits that tone just right between the sweetness and the reality that these people were making shit for no money <laughs> that no one wanted to see, and yet they kept doing it. And they were all people that at some point had a reasonable career and ended up being effectively washed up. Um, and this guy Ed, would kind of collected them all like these are oddballs they were all a bit oddballs weren't they yes um, and and he kind of collected these oddballs like himself and they I don't know convinced himself they were, were, were geniuses and making this beautiful stuff and kind of maybe gave themselves a few years of fun at the end of their lives because I think looking at the films a lot of it was fun the making it they, they, they this is what they wanted to do there wasn't a huge amount of oversight really compared to what they would be making a big studio movie and yeah you know, they were, they were almost like pirates, pirates of movies. Yes. And uh, to name some of those people that he collected, uh, other than Bella Lugosi, you had Elvira, who's sort of the... Um, uh, sorry, no, Elvira is the modern one. Yeah, El- no, it's Vampira. Vampira, Vampira, from whom Elvira sort of evolved later on. Uh, you also had this guy called Criswell, who used to be on, I believe, The Tonight Show with, um, um, I think it was Johnny Carson at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, a... You know, he predicted, like, in the year like 2050, yeah. we're going to be living on Mars. You know, these people whose time in Hollywood, they had a moment where they were quite a big name, but they were all riding a wave that was about to crest. And Edward was sort of their salvation in those later years. Yeah. And, yeah, gave them something to, to, to believe in and, and love and made some terrible movies in the process <laughs> and since we can spoil this movie um while this movie does stick largely to the facts like any biopic it does it mixes things up it um you know it, it for example it only shows the making of three movies but he made several movies between those movies they're just the ones that got cult fandoms so they're the ones that they make the film about but that none of that is egregious unlike blonde where you find yourself watching scenes that are completely fabricated that are completely insulting. Here, it's just the kind of regular biopic, you know, streamlining into a two-hour story. The only scene which is wholesale made up and is there for the sake of uh, a fantasy, I've used this term before, magic realism, is that he's making his uh, film, the Christian backers who who have paid for the making of this film don't like that he's wearing a dress. So he goes to a bar and there he meets Orson Welles. And it's a lovely little magical moment where Orson Welles inspires him to keep keep going. Dreams are worth fighting for, Ed. You know, it's such a lovely, lovely little moment. Yeah, it was. Well, oh, what's the line? They they try to make me 
Who are these? Uh, um, oh, they're trying to make me cast Charlton Heston as a Mexican. Mexican. Oi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is very... Cancelled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it is... Um, yeah, it is it's got that kind of, kind of fun uplifting. One of the things I love about that as well is that the guy who does... The brain from Pinky and the Brain yes. does the voice for Orson Welles. Yes, because obviously Pinky, obviously the brain from Pinky and the Brain is based off Orson Welles. Yes. And uh, they cast as the body um, Vincent D'Onofrio, who's a very talented actor, yeah. but he just doesn't sound like Orson Welles. <laughs> so it's dubbed over. But no, it is. It's a really cute, uplifting thing because obviously, on a different league, Orson Welles had after making a couple of movies trouble really his career never people wanted to use him as an actor never wanted to really let him make the films he wanted to make and he had a pretty difficult career really as well um and then ended up making frozen peas adverts and uh he was one of the voice of the transformers in the 80s transformers movie (laughs) (laughs) i mean bloody hell how the mighty have fallen yes um but yeah and unlike Blondes, which uh, really put our backs up and really insulted us even, it was nice to have this film to talk about too, especially at the end. So we didn't end it talking about, ah, oh, bloody hell, Blondes, what's all that about, eh? I think they're a good juxtaposition of each other because they could have really gone in hard and absolutely just ripped the shit out of this person who made bad movies and was a bit weird and you know had all these foibles and all these weird people around him he collected but actually the thing that you get at the end of the movie is kind of an uplifting kind of just have fun give it a go enjoy mm-hmm. life that's kind of you know i think always the and and it it respects him it respects his pluckiness and his attitude and things it absolutely and does it, it, you know there are some bits that make you laugh in it but because it's ridiculous situations as with anything in life when ridiculous situations happen you find it funny but you can tell Tim Burton really loves and respects Ed Wood <laughs> and really loves and respects that kind of group of weirdos that he collects. Because I suppose that's kind of what Tim Burton does to it in a way, like Helena Moncarta and Johnny Depp and all these people who are slightly more square pegs in round holes. I think than... he saw a lot of himself in there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you can tell that. Whereas what's happened with Blonde is they've tried to take... a tell a, a metaphor for the, the film industry and how it treats women, but incredibly clumsily using a real person and other real people who effectively it slandered both of them. It slandered her and mm-hmm. the other people around her and didn't show any of her positive things. And it's not really a biopic about her. It's just a sloppy metaphor for the movie industry. It's also never disrespectful about um, Ed's choice to dress as women. It never mm-hmm. judges him. Uh, there are characters who do judge him. But it's not. We're not intended to look at those people and go, "Yes, I agree." How how dare he dress like that? If anything, they're showing predominantly in a negative light. They're mm-hmm. they're like sneery people, or they are, you know, people that don't care. The people that are having fun are the people that don't care, and it's just a thing that's happening. It's just treated as normal. Whereas the people that are kind of sneering at it and stuff are not very nice movie executives or people that have got a you know. A, a, a rod up their ass, shall we say? <laughs> There's a great line um, when um, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker uh, says, "How can you be so casual walking around like that?" He just stops and goes, "Well, look around, hun. Nobody's bothered by it but you." Yeah, exactly. And and that is a theme. It kind of comes back um, back to roost a few times in the movie, uh, without going into too much detail. But no, it's a. Uh, movie that i really love continue to love and hadn't watched it for a few years and forgot how much i loved it it's a very much a comfort movie for me i've seen it a lot more times than you but yeah 
it's the kind of movie I throw on in the background every so often just to have something on. And for those of you that haven't seen it, it's currently available on Disney+. Disney Plus. Um, yeah. And it should be said, Blonde, if you are curious, is available on Netflix. Um, so yeah, sponsor us Netflix and Disney+. Plus. Yes, absolutely. Please, give us your money. Give us your moolah. If I'm going to pick one, I'll have the Disney money. I think so too, yes. Want to be in bed with them. Yeah, they've got a few pounds. And it sounds like there is a monster car outside. There is traffic outside. Apologies to uh, Rob, <laughs> who will have to work around this. Not seagulls today. Yes, not seagulls. Traffic. Monster traffic. <laughs> so, I think that leaves us at a nice kind of end point um, for the podcast. So, what... Is your wrap-up and thought f- and score out of 10 for Blonde? Blonde was insulting, it was, in, it was pretentious, it was ugly in its attitude, and for all its best intentions about, we're telling a story about the truth of how it is in Hollywood, I just found that it was, frankly, a lot more misogynistic, and it insulted a person who is dead. Leave her alone. So for that, I, I'm giving it a one. Yeah, fair enough. And Edward made a film called um, Plan 9, which originally was called... It was about Grave Robbers from Outer Space. Grave Robbers from Outer Space. And I think that a grave was robbed in the making of Blonde. I think that they dug up that poor woman's corpse and paraded it Do on TV. Do you hear TV. that steering sound? It's him steering to try and find a link here. <laughs> and it is a... Very good link, I would say. Um, yeah, I hated it. I would... For, I, for, I'm going to give the film zero. Wow. Zero out of ten. Um, just because I really hated a lot about it. I actually didn't the, know we could give zero. Well, I've never done it. Wow. Unless you, Would you like to give your I zero? I think I will. Um, the only caveat to my zero is I'll give Anna de Armas a six out of ten. But, she is good. But I'm... I'm separating her from the movie. I hate the movie. Zero out of ten. Yeah, I'm, I'm retracting my one and going for a zero too. So I didn't realise we could. Pure hatred. Hated it. Well, even if we can't, we just did. We so. just did. It's our rules. We're making it up. Maybe this is the only movie we'll ever give double Maybe. zero to. Maybe. Um, and Edward, sum up and out of ten. Um, Edward, I, I, like I said, it's a comfort movie. It, it's charming. The cinematography is very pretty and not in a way that feels pretentious. It feels appropriate for the era that they're uh, mimicking in the 1950s in Hollywood, a similar era to the Marilyn Monroe era. Um, Johnny Depp and the rest of the cast are excellent. Uh, it's Tim Burton's best film during a run of really good films, his, his era. His, you know, he was the 90s. Um, it has a Jimmy Stewart, uh, Frank Capra air of optimism, a gee golly, let's put on the show, guys, sort of optimism to it. Everything about it works. It's very sweet. I'll give it a nine. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, and I agree with everything you've said. Uh, I really love it. Love the acting. Love the feel. Love the the the, the gee workers. Let's do this kind of spirit. <laughs> love the cinematography. I think it's um, I think it's uh, Tim Burton's best work. And I too am going to give it a nine out of ten. And we didn't even mention the music. It's the first oh, time he yeah. didn't work with Danny Elfman. And all the better for it. Although, as much as I love Danny Elfman, it would be he'd be wrong for this movie. Howard like, Shaw's so score is very lovely. And how, yeah, Howard Shaw's the kind of perfect person for yeah. this film. Yeah. 
absolutely love and adore it. So this week, we both agreed for the first time ever, I think, on both movies. I think so. Uh, so Blonde, zero out of ten. Watch at your own peril. And I spit on it. And um, nine out of ten for Edward. And I do apologise for the uh, Speed Racer. Um, I think I went a bit mad last week. So apologies for that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, if we were going to have a Speed Razor episode, we knew that something was going to (laughs) happen. And on that note, uh, we will say ta for this week. Uh, Hopefully we should be back next week for a documentary-based podcast. We'll catch you on down the road. Cheerio. Bye. Cancelled. <laughs> imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.